He is risen. Okay, Cedar Falls, they say he is risen indeed. I didn't grow up in the church, so I'm not as familiar with that. So um, my name is Dirk. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and it is a joy to be with you today on Easter Sunday. Now, it is Easter. It's also my birthday, which is the first time it's happened, and I'm preaching. And I go on my sabbatical in a couple weeks, so who knows what I'm going to say today. Um, I need some rest, but no, I'm, I think it'll be okay. Uh, let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for this morning. You are alive. Would that be tangible for your people this morning, in this room, in your church, across the world? You are alive, reigning and ruling. You live within us. You empower us, and you send us. So would today, Lord, be full of hope and joy, peace, and satisfaction in you, in you alone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so today we celebrate. So if you're here Friday, it was pretty gloom, like no lights up here. Um, the songs were pretty heavy. Um, the sermon, also pretty heavy, yet the Easter Bunny was out there and there were photography and all that. It was kind of a mismatch. That was not planned on our, on our part. Um, so yes, Friday, the death, the torture of Jesus the reality of, of our sin and God's wrath. Then you have Holy Saturday, which isn't really talked about or celebrated as much. And it's this, this in-between day, this, this period of silence. The body's in the tomb. God is seemingly silent. But at the same time, he's still present. And then you have Sunday morning, where we together today... Rejoice in the power of the resurrection, the physical raising of Christ's body. The tomb is empty. There's no more reason to grieve for him. He's alive, reigning, and ruling. So today, my goal is that this, ser this sermon would be short and sweet, and then we're going to baptize, and then we're going to sing like crazy. So, are you with me? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 22. I'm not going to reread everything. Um, a lot of this is just going to be a springboard for where we're going today. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I last preached, I was in 1 Corinthians 13 talking about the way of love. And what I was going into there was about this, this status, what the church in Corinth was like. And so if you were to look through the New Testament, it is the messiest church you could possibly be a part of. A long list of stuff that's going on that Paul is addressing early on in this letter. And he's at this point now where he's, do he's doing this. He's reminding them of the gospel of which they believe and to which they have unity. He's saying this. The gospel which you received, in which you currently stand, and by which you will be saved. He's talking about a past, present, and future gospel that applies to all of it all of life, and it is of first importance. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, what Jesus did in, in his life, his ministry, his, his death and resurrection, all that was foretold through the prophets in the Old Testament. And what we see him doing in his, in his span of ministry is him fulfilling all of it. 
Now, apart from the last day when he returns and all justice is met. Now, he's, Paul is essentially saying this. If we miss the gospel, church in Corinth, the global church, church throughout history, if you miss the gospel, you miss the whole thing. Right? If we only focus on our actions or just how we do church, it will be ineffective. It will not have power. It has to be connected with the gospel, right? Like you could have a good model for how you do church, a different structure, a different vision, mission, goals, values, graphics, good standing with the city, but it will not be a source of life if it's void of Jesus, if it's void of what he has done for us. And so we need the full gospel. We need the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. This is our source of power, joy, peace, love, and hope. And what we're focusing in on today is that we need the resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, it's all foobar. It's all for nothing. If there's no resurrection, death still reigns. Jesus is still in the tomb. There's no new life. No new identity, no new purpose. We are still in our sins. And so two things I want to cover today, hopefully quickly. Jesus is alive, and Jesus has made us alive. So Jesus is alive. What does it mean that he is alive? Let me flip to Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 23. We're going to read through this here in a little bit. What this monster of a passage is getting at is is Paul is praying for the church, for the church in Ephesus and the church for all time, that God the Father would give us wisdom and revelation, so clarity to see the glory of the resurrected Jesus. So let's look at this, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts in line so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is now on the throne. He's reigning and ruling above all things. He is worthy. And he has immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, toward us. We're going to get into this a little bit later. But Jesus is alive. What, what does it mean? It, it means he's worthy and in control, but it also means death has been defeated. And, and church, this is a taste of what's to come. Right? So Peter preaches in Acts 2, 24, that God raised him, Jesus raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Impossible. Jesus is too powerful to be held by the grips of death, and he conquers it. So if you're here 
on Good Friday, we did a song, the second to last song called Lower Still. Really heavy, really um, visceral in language. So talking about how Jesus being born and serving and, and being tortured and dying and buried, him going lower still from the throne, lower still into greater humility to the point of being killed and put into a tomb. And how we did the song there, we actually cut it off before the, the last bit. Because what happens after that last bit is it goes into the resurrection. There's like a little bit of a pause and then bam! We couldn't do that on, on Good Friday. It, would, it wouldn't have been appropriate. Um, so the lyrics say this. The earth explodes, she cannot hold him. And all therein is placed beneath him. And death itself no longer reigns. It cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save. And as the universe shatters, the darkness dissolves. He alone will be honored. And we will bathe in his splendor. As all heads bow, lower still. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Christ's resurrection was the day that death died. And one day, family, one day it will be in full. Because likewise with Christ, those of us who believe, who are, have given ourselves to him, death will not hold us. Death does not have the final say on our lives. Because he has us in his hands. Death is under his feet. And one day it will be no more. How do we know he's alive? How do we know Christ is alive? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 8. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised, all that we do is in vain. So our faith, our worship, our giving, our serving, our hospitality, our mission, all that's in vain. And then later on in the passage, he says, just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Just do whatever you want. If, if Christ has not been raised, just do whatever you want. Because that's all we have left. But he said, no, in fact, Christ has been raised. I've seen him. I've seen him. He says, Christ appeared to Cephas, Peter, in the twelve. And at one point appeared to 500 brothers at once. Most are still alive today when he's writing this. Like, you can go find them and interview them. Then he revealed himself to his brother, James, and then to all of the apostles, and then Paul. Like, look at this list. He's writing, he's saying, you can go find these people, you can talk to them, but look at what they're doing with their lives. These are not people who saw a risen Christ, 
and are now back doing what they once did. They're not going back and just working in the fields, not going back and just doing their normal jobs, living their lives as if Christ had never been raised. No, they are giving their lives for the gospel. They are being killed. He said most, some of them have fallen asleep. Some of the, the apostles at ta- that time had already died. Peter was going to be crucified upside down. Paul was going to be beheaded at one point. And then countless martyrs throughout the generations of the church. But he's saying, these people have seen him, have touched him. He has spoken to them, and he has commissioned them out, which we'll get to that in a little bit. And so we see that as the testimony of the church. Ever since then, for thousands of years now, that's been the story, the testimony of the church that has been the source of power. Church, it's been his resurrection that has changed the course of history. No other event can compare. No other event. But let me just take a little bit here. I want to share just a couple testimonies here in our current generation that are just mind-blowing. See if I can get through these. There was an elderly Afghan woman that ended up in Athens alone. Her children were still in her home country. Each week she would walk into a ministry center, clearly overwhelmed with the troubles in her world. One Persian pastor had prayed with her many times and explained that the answer to all of her troubles was King Jesus. Like many Afghans, she was not interested in the gospel. One day, the Persian pastor asked, if God reveals himself to you and shows you the truth, will you follow him? She just laughed. A few weeks later, she met Jesus. During the day, she walked by the ministry, but no one was there. So she sat down to rest just outside of the door. Suddenly, she saw a bright light coming. Um... A bright light coming from behind her, so bright that she covered her eyes. The light was shining brighter than the sun. In front of her, she saw a big shadow, and then she heard a voice speaking in her language, my daughter, my daughter, the door is open for you, come. She replied, the door is closed. Again, The voice called to her, I am the Son of God, Jesus. The door is open for you, my daughter. I am the door. As she told the story, she began trembling and her heart was pounding as she proclaimed the peace and joy that she experienced since hearing Jesus speak to her. She said, many times, Pastor, you have encouraged me to pray that God would speak to me. I thought it was blasphemy, but now I know Jesus is alive. After talking to the pastor, she took some Bibles and began giving them to other people, insisting that they must read the book. A girl in Iran had endured severe abuse um, from multiple people, including severe beatings from her father. Her relationship with her father was completely broken, and she hated all men. 
Her father did not protect her from evil. She eventually became an atheist like her mother and lived in a very dark depression. She was on plenty of medication for it and couldn't laugh or cry for two years. She tried to overdose five times unsuccessfully. She then decided to use a rope. So she took pills to numb herself. And then said to God, if you actually exist, I want to physically touch you. She then proceeded with her plan. What then she described as everything going black, and then for four seconds she saw Jesus. She saw that she was on his shoulders. Like a child that loves his father. She had always wanted to do this with her father, but never did. She said to him, please don't put me on the ground. He replied, I promise I will always protect you. I won't even let a rock strike your foot. And then began to repeat all of Psalm 91 to her. She thought it was only four seconds, but when she came to, she was laid down on her bed. When she stood up, she saw her noose was open on the floor and her neck was black. After not being able to cry for years, she then cried for hours. She knew that God was real and was healing her. And in that moment, I knew who God was and that it was Christ, what she said. She stopped taking her pills, slept just fine at night, and her heart was slowly being healed from years of abuse and is now a part of a rapidly growing church movement in the underground and heavily persecuted Iran. And by the way, the end of Psalm 91 says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There was a family on a boat with other migrants traveling from Turkey to Athens. On the way, they lost their seven-year-old daughter into the water. Everyone in the crowded boat was looking for her but couldn't find her. Suddenly, she appeared on the other side of the boat, saying over and over, a man who walked on the water took me and brought me to the other side of the boat. The parents dismissed her words as silly. Upon arriving, on the island of Lesbos, they met a Christian who made a fire for them and offered to talk to them. That day, without knowing what happened, he asked if they would like to know about a God who walked on water. 
They started crying. The man had never used that illustration in evangelism before, but that morning he felt like he had to. They asked him, who are you? To which he replied, I'm a Christian. And they said, what do you mean walk on water? So he opened the Bible and read the story of Jesus walking on the water. They continued crying. Our daughter fell off the boat, they explained. We thought she was crazy because she was dry on the other side. We didn't understand it, but she kept saying, it was a man who walked on the water that took me to the other side. I think he's alive. (laughs) And that's just a couple stories among millions, right? For those of us in the room, like, what's your story? Many of you have a story. Has Jesus shown you that he's alive? Has he shown grace toward your brokenness? Has he healed you? Has he made you alive in him? Jesus has made us alive. Paul says at the end of our passage today, in Adam we all die, but in Christ we live. So if we go back to the garden, the beginning of Scripture in Genesis, that sin sin came through Adam in the garden affecting all humanity. Every single one of us born into it. But Christ is the true and better Adam. Through his death, we are given the free gift of grace, which is our redemption and our new life in Christ. And because of Christ, it is no longer your sin that defines you. Christ does. It's no longer the broken world that gives you a purpose. It's only through Christ. Your efforts, your positivity won't save you and give you eternal life. Only Christ will. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Through seven, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's made us alive together with him. If he is your savior, if he is Lord of your life, he has made you alive, right? And so he's, he's raised us up with him and the, it's kind of almost uncomfortable. He seated us with him. Like later Paul's like, don't you know that you're going to judge angels, church? You're seated with him. You have the inheritance the grace, the power that is through him. You have that now. Because of his spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that spirit, the Holy Spirit, is now within you. Right, and so in in chapter two, Paul says the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Go back to chapter one, his immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Like, 
What's the difference? Like his grace and power, it's all toward us. It's all immeasurable. It's all infinite. And it's a free gift for every single one of us who has called upon the name of Jesus. And because of that, like I said, the spirit that raised him from the dead dwells within us and gives us that new life. And with that new life, we do what? We are empowered and we are sent. If the resurrection leads to any action on our part today, maybe getting baptized, but beyond that, it is to know that we are filled with the Spirit, empowered with His strength and power, and sent into the world to be His witnesses. That's the Great Commission where Jesus says, go into the world, make disciples. You're witnesses of the gospel. Tell the world who he is. They need to know. The nations need to know. And then you get a snapshot of this at Pentecost some days later, where, where Jesus tells them, stay in Jerusalem. Like, okay, waiting, waiting. And then Pentecost, boom, the Spirit descends. The gospel's preached in languages from around the world, and thousands of people get saved. And at the same time, all these Jews from all these different countries throughout the known world are there in Jerusalem, and they hear the kingdom of God preached in their language, and where do they go? Back home. And the gospel spreads. And the Spirit moves. And people get saved. People get new identities and new purposes. And so for us here today to live in that resurrection power, we are sent into this city and to the world to preach and live the gospel and word and power. We love as Jesus loves. We pray for the sick. We minister to the poor, the oppressed, the broken. We serve the city. We love our enemies. We speak truth against lies and the demonic. We see worship as a weapon against darkness and a celebration of who Jesus is and what he has done. And to let the watching world know that Jesus is alive. Would we be a church that the watching world would see that they live as if he's alive. Because we can be a functional church that acts and lives out in a way that he's still in the tomb. Dreary. Rules, rules. No life. No joy. But would we be a joyful church compelled and empowered by the resurrection? Would that be us? Is that what you want, church? Everything that we do now in light of the resurrection to give us this vision, everything that we do now is a foretaste. It's a foretaste of our future with him. Right? So we see in a mirror dimly, but one day face to face. And we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And David writes in the Psalms that those who look to him are radiant. That will be a, a reality one day. Full glory. No more sin. It will be an afterthought. 
no shame, no grief, no sorrow, no sickness, no death. We will see one day death being swallowed up forever. And we will see him in all glory. And we will be satisfied. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great story? It's not just a story, it's reality. It is our reality. So in light of all this, how do we respond, church? Well, as Eric said, we're not doing communion today. I mean, I love communion, but we did that Friday. And so if you're with us, I hope you got to partake in that. But today, baptisms. That's awesome. So I want to invite up Emma and Wario up here as I kind of lead us through this. So it, I don't know, it might maybe been a little bit since we had baptism. So what we like to do is just remind ourselves, and, and even if, if you're here this morning and God's just been kind of prodding your heart about this maybe for a while, maybe today is the day you get dunked. Maybe. But let's talk about it. Um, I would say as we're going through this, Eric's going to be off to the side. And if, if that's been you, if there's been something uh, that, man, the Lord is just doing within you, you're like, man, I think today's the day I get baptized. Like, I've been holding out on this for a while, or maybe today you just got saved, and you're like seeing Jesus for the first time. Great, go talk to Eric. But what do we believe about baptism? So in short, now we can talk about this for a while, but in short, baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward change. It is a picture of our lives being joined with Jesus. So I'm going to read from Romans 6. Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the act of baptism, of getting in the tank here, doing all that, that's not what saves you. It's, it's reminding yourself. It's, it's showing the body. It's showing the watching world and the demonic that you belong to Jesus. That's what it's about. And so we rejoice in doing baptisms, like getting in the water, joining with Christ, and dying with him, buried with him, and raised to new life. That's so great. All those are victories. So are you guys excited? Yeah. Let's go. Let's go.